gas lighting yeah. city. Our main export is gas and lights <laughs> because we're gas lighting you. Yo, yo, yo. How are you doing this morning? What up, homie? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I'm actually quite tired, but we're good. Mm-hmm. I feel a little bit better now. How are you? I'm good. I was a little tired this morning, but I just like shotgunned uh, an ice cream tea and yeah. now I'm ready to go. I love how you said shotgunned an ice cream tea. <laughs> and by shotgun, I mean uh, you drink it through a straw um, <laughs> from a glass. But yeah, the caffeine is just coursing through my veins. I'm ready to go. Oh my gosh, I stopped drinking caffeine. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I had a nice coffee a couple days ago because my boss got us one for free. Like he was like, I'm going to get iced coffee. Mm-hmm. Do you want some? And I was like, okay, like if you insist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we have a review we get to talk yeah. about today. So this review is from Nora, our close personal friend. She is a joy. She's very smart and mm-hmm. well read. Yes. I feel like I'm describing her like D&D character right now. <laughs> this is literally yeah. what it is. But anyways, we were thinking what song to choose and uh, we knew it had to be upbeat and fun. Yeah. And this song is one that Nora plays frequently. So yeah. it basically already is playing in the background of a movie about her life. So we decided to go with London Bridge yes. by Fergie, which I think is a very underrated Fergie song. I feel like everyone goes for Fergalicious, but London Bridge doesn't get the respect it deserves. Yeah, it's so fun. It's a good time. I feel like you could be like dancing to London Bridge somewhere. Well, not during the age of coronavirus, but before. And uh, you could end up going home with someone. Like, the song is that powerful. Totally. So if you would like us to pick a song that would play in the 2000s movie montage of your life, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll give you a shout-out in the next episode. You can always DM us to let us know. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. We want to make it personal. Yeah, that's really helpful. Just because Mm -hmm. uh, if we don't know you, we are going to pick something pretty random i would say yeah we'll look at your instagram and try and make an educated guess (laughs) also you probably already knew this but if you subscribe to us i know this is true for like apple podcasts you will just automatically get our new episodes and you'll get a little update on your phone and that's convenient Mm -hmm. everyone loves convenience yeah absolutely all right so shall we talk about today's movie let's get into it i Love this movie so much. I loved it too. I was uh, experiencing a lot of emotions when I was watching it. Yeah. Today we are doing the 2003 classic Uptown Girls. Yes. I thought I was in for like a fun feel-good movie. I guess I knew the contents, so I wasn't like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is just going to be Daisies and Roses, but... um. I cried way more than I thought I was going to, and it was really yeah. just a very reflective time. Um, totally. <laughs> yeah, because I watched this movie a ton growing up. Like, when it came out, I was like eight, almost eight, depending on what time of year it came out. And um, that's the age that Dakota Fanning's character is. And then watching it now, being 24, oh and having God. been Molly's age, I'm just like... 
Yeah. Oh my God, this movie is so much more than I thought it was when I was a kid. Like I knew it was like sad, but I never cried. And I cried like three separate times while watching this movie. Yeah. And all three of those were when I was watching this on my break at work. <laughs> so I had to like hide in the corner so my boss did not see me oh looking a fucking wreck. So it takes place when she's 22. And yeah, we're 24 now. So when we were 22, it was the year after graduation. And that was just a chaotic time Mm -hmm. for everyone, I feel like. Yeah, because we turned 22, like, right around graduation. And that first year post-grad is just, like... A shedder. Yeah. Throw it away. She's not a good one. Throw it away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you know what? We learned a lot. We grew a lot. I feel like we're better for it. Yeah. But at the time... It was really hard. I feel like... Even now, going into, like, the third year, having graduated, I feel more confident and, like, reassured Mm -hmm. in my, like, abilities and what I want to do and um, stuff like that. But your early 20s, it's so difficult. I feel like like no one has your best interests at heart when you meet people and stuff like that. Yeah, luckily, like, nothing super bad happened to me. But it's just, like, those moments of, like, you think a guy cares about you or you think someone cares about you and they don't or you don't know enough to, like, realize how you should handle different situations. I know when I Mm -hmm. was that age, I was always just, like, trying to please other people. Like, I never was like, oh, what do I need from this thing? I was, like, bending over backwards for a lot of other people. Yeah, totally. My year, like post-grad that first year I was like in a career path that was not really the one that I wanted Mm -hmm. but I kind of like fell into it and like had to stay in it for like a ton of complex reasons that we're not going to get into now but I was just really trapped in this new career that I had no training in but then suddenly was doing professionally and had to like prove myself at every point and because I was 22 and young like some of the older people that I worked with like didn't take me seriously which sucked, but like partially they were right to not take me super seriously because at the beginning I didn't really know what I was doing. But along the way I learned and, you know, it's it's just like a really hard time in your life. And yeah. I feel like personally I was made to be in my 30s. <laughs> I feel like if I could just be like 32 forever, like that's going to be like my prime Yeah, when I'm in my 30s. Yeah, I definitely feel like the stuff that I was so hard on myself for, I thought I cared so much about. I'm like, I just need to be like easier on myself and be like, oh, early 20s are times like make mistakes and do stupid stuff. I mean, even now, really, before mm-hmm. we're like late 30s, whatever, need to have like more, you know, our 401ks going and shit like that. But yeah, I feel like Phil is always freaking out because he's turning 26 next month. And I'm like, this is just the beginning. We have so much more time. Your 30s Mm. are when you're really gonna solidify stuff. You probably get like property in your 30s and you do other life marker shit in your 30s. But right now I feel like we still have so much time to make mistakes and do stupid stuff. Definitely. I think that this movie is a very accurate like depiction of being in your young 20s, even though like the premise of it is a little bit out of the realm of my reality, you know, having millions of dollars and then losing it. But I think it shows like the struggle and Molly's journey is something that's like so great to watch. You get so invested so quickly. Yeah, definitely. Even though 
like you said, the like first premise of her like having all this money is unrelatable. I think that she plays the character incredibly relatable and Mm -hmm. I really enjoy watching her and I feel connected to the character. I was super invested from the very beginning. Yeah, Brittany Murphy was like an incredible performer. I think that this was like such a great role for her. It's really sad that, unfortunately, she passed away so young. Yeah. There's a quote that I found from Dakota Fanning talking about her time working with Brittany, so we'll post that on our Instagram story at some point so you guys can see it. Yeah. But it seems like they had a really genuine bond, like the one you see in the movie, for sure. Yeah. She was such a talented person and an amazing character actor. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when we looked up this movie on Rotten Tomatoes, absolute, just absolutely wild the audacity mm-hmm. the disrespect it's astronomical i think it was was it 14 percent? i think it was something like wait no 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 i think 14 percent is camp rock hang on let me look it up i hope so the idiots on rotten tomatoes the professionals so-called have given this movie a 14 percent. oh i i hate that i'm like filled with rage just looking at it yeah I don't agree with it. If you really Mm -hmm. think that this movie is worth 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, please tell us why. Please. Yeah. Because I feel like it's honestly such – most of these reviews feel really pointed to me in that Mm -hmm. they're focused on, like, these two female leads who are, to me, completely relatable, Mm -hmm. very well played. Like, I love their relationship. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, this is, like, not worth my time. Like, I don't really feel like any of these critiques – are grounded in anything real. Yeah, it seems like they looked at the movie poster and then didn't watch the movie and then just made up all these assumptions based on that. Or watch, like, a trailer. Yeah, this movie is, like, pretty nuanced and I think, like, very well fleshed out. Yeah. But the idiots on Rotten Tomatoes are just like, oh, like, a stupid chick flick. Yeah. Oh, Brittany Murphy's a party girl. Oh, Dakota Fanning's, like, a menace child. That's all there is to it. And I'm like... Did you watch the movie? Did you? Clearly not. So we're going to read you some of these dumb fucking reviews because Mm -hmm. I was taken aback. Yeah. Saucer-eyed and hedgehog-haired, Brittany Murphy thinks wrongly that she is adorably kooky as the party girl. She is adorable and she's not kooky. Like, this is the weird part about this. Like, why do you think she's some kooky, whimsy girl? I think she's just fun loving but i never got Mm -hmm. the sense that she was like oh i'm like the ditzy dumb one like she's not incompetent in this movie yeah and i'm like you know her backstory i could like go very deep into this but i won't we'll like talk about it more in the summary but it's just like such a narrow-minded portrayal of like what her character is she's like a 22 year old who's very fun loving and she has like evolved to be this way because of her extremely tragic childhood She literally was not raised by anyone. Her parents passed away as a kid. She was left all this money. So, like, yeah, she's not going to be, like, a working-class normal person. Yeah. I just think that they're uh, debasing her character by, like, describing her in the most cynical way possible and not really aptly describing what she's like in the Mm -hmm. movie. And then another one said... Can two over-pampered but fundamentally lonely persons of the blonde female persuasion bond meaningfully with each other while shopping? Do they shop together in this movie? No! They never shop together. Yeah. That doesn't even happen. Also, 
you would never, if you saw a male movie, like if you saw like Iron Man, you would never be like, oh, can this millionaire save the blah, blah, blah. You literally would not give a fuck about the fact that he was rich. So Mm -hmm. shut up. Yeah. Like it's not. Or mention their hair color or gender or like, it makes me mad. It Like, yeah, I'm almost at a loss for words. And Dakota's character is never like sure she is like wealthy because most kids actually i don't know if that's true if you live in upper manhattan in new york like yeah that's where Mm -hmm. it takes place like that's the whole thing like she's her fucking nanny yeah but you're like critiquing the premise and not the actual content of the movie Mm -hmm. whatever yeah there's one review that was positive you know that stood out to us so before we dive into the movie review, we'll tell you that one. Mm-hmm. Yakin shuns caricature, his affection for all his feckless characters, even Fanning's narcissistic mom is evident. I think that's very yeah. fucking accurate, okay? Yeah, everybody is very, like, fleshed out in I this agree. movie, which I feel like the dummies of Rotten Tomatoes simply aren't picking up on. And that is why I say boycott Rotten Tomatoes. I'm done with it. I'm not looking at that garbage anymore. Yeah, fuck Rotten Tomatoes 2020. Yeah, I don't need that negativity in my life. I really don't. Yeah. Should we um, jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, The movie opens with Dakota Fanning having a little voiceover while we pan over an amusement park. She's talking about a fairy tale about a princess living high above the street in an enchanted kingdom. She says the king and queen were long gone but left her with treasure so she could stay a princess forever. And that on the eve of her 22nd birthday, a grand celebration was planned. And we see a messy but incredibly beautiful and very large New York apartment. And uh, there's a voicemail on Molly's machine. Molly is just getting up at 10 p.m., okay? And she's like, give me 10 more minutes and I'll rock your world as her pig, her little pet pig, (laughs) licks her ear. And um, she realizes what time it is and she gets the fuck up. She gets ready for her party. And at this moment, I'm like, Brittany Murphy is gorgeous, just stunning. Yeah. And so beautiful. She uses, she like goes and sits down at her vanity and she's like, I don't know what to put in my hair. And then she's like, I see a candle, a little lampshade <laughs> on the candle. And she like styles it in her hair and like pins it in. And it's actually really cute. God, maybe that's what they're talking about, about quirky. But I find that to be genuine because later on she becomes yeah. a fashion designer. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's foreshadowing. It's an Easter egg. Yes. I'm like, how are you? Whatever. Anyways. Yeah. It would be different if it was Zoe Deschanel, who I feel like would just put a lampshade on her head and be like, this yes. is my hat. <laughs> okay. So um, she goes over to her fridge and she grabs this giant wad of cash from her freezer and stuffs it in her purse and heads out the door where there are dozens and dozens of flowers lining the hallway. And her neighbor is pissed. But um, she just traipses down the hallway anyway, and she's like, give these to your wife. And then she gets downstairs, and there are a ton of gifts in the lobby as well. And she finds a thong in one of the bags and throws it to her doorman. And she's like, give this to your girl, Tony. 
And then she just hops out into the street and whistles for a cab to get her to the club. And I'm like, wow, what a dream. What a life. Could never be me, but, (laughs) you know, if only. I miss cabs. Yeah. weird. Jesus. So Molly finally gets to the club and, like, the doorman lets her in immediately. She clearly got some clout. And her friends are there. It's a big surprise party thrown by her two best friends, Huey and Ingrid. Molly is, like, having a good time. She's dancing with this dude who is apparently 19. (laughs) Gross. I know. (laughs) She's, like, passing between people. She's saying hi to everyone. Yeah. I do find her blonde friend, Ingrid, um, suspicious immediately, but it's, like, I kind of misjudged her. Like, I think she's just a really anal person. Yeah. So I got bad vibes. (laughs) So then she's talking to, like, one of Ingrid's, I guess, friends. She's, like, a socialite. Mm -hmm. And she tells Molly that she should, like, take care of that forehead wrinkle. She's like, yeah, go to Face Factory. Get some Botox. And I'm like, she just turned 22. Yeah. That's insane. I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) After I saw this, I, like, looked in my mirror in my bedroom and was like, oh, my fucking God. And then I kept telling myself, I was like, if you keep eating vegan, like, you won't get any wrinkles, which isn't true. Oh it's not true. But yeah, I do think a lot of older vegans have good skin. Yeah. So you just need you need some retinol. Yeah, that's uh, that's the secret. Everybody. That's true. So anyways, Molly hears this and she goes into the restroom and she looks in the mirror and she looks at her face and she's like moving her face around to look at all her wrinkles and whatever and hallucinates and sees herself as an old woman. And she's like, why would I have a worry wrinkle? And that's when we hear a small child's voice. Why would you think anyone would care? And the voice also says that she had shoes like Molly's when she was five. Enter Lorraine, a.k.a. Ray, a.k.a. Dakota Fanning, an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. She, like, makes fun of the lampshade in Molly's hair. And I'm like, how do you even know that it's a lampshade? Literally, it doesn't, it doesn't look, look like one. Anymore. It's a yeah. tiny lampshade, guys. That We're not talking about, like, a big cloth <laughs> lampshade. Yeah, we're not talking, like, a Zoe Deschanel lampshade. <laughs> we're talking, like... A small, like, candle votive lampshade. Exactly. Yeah. And then, like, Molly makes fun of Ray because she has, like, her own personal bar of soap. And I'm like, damn, can you imagine how (laughs) smug Ray would be during these times? Yeah. Insufferable. Just as they're having this discussion, Huey bursts into the bathroom and he drags Ray out as she insults him. She calls him gooey Huey and is just hella disrespectful. But he mm-hmm. is in charge of watching her right now um, because his boss is that kid's mom. And she's the music producer, this like super, I guess she's famous, but she's just like super rich music producer mom. Yeah, she's a big deal. Yeah. And all of their nannies keep quitting. So right now Huey is looking after her at this party, which she really shouldn't even be at. Mm-hmm. So back at the party, Molly asks Ingrid if she's a hideous hag. And Ingrid is like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You could have any guy in here. What is wrong with you? Cue a hottie with a guitar gets on stage. Molly is 
immediately hooked. Knowing me, I probably would be as well. You definitely would be. 100%. Yeah. The hottie, his name is Neil. He's a British musician. Mm-hmm. Really the icing on top of the cake. And he sings a song for Molly on her birthday. She is smitten. Again, I would be too. <laughs> I sound so disappointed because I know how he turns out in this movie and I really don't like it. But Molly is like, who is that? I want him for my birthday. And Huey is like, yeah, I just discovered him in a dive bar. I want Roma, who's his boss, and Ray's mom. He's like, I want Roma to sign him. But apparently, he's celibate like Morrissey because he's like all about the music. I don't know that much about Morrissey. Morrissey's done like a lot of problematic, terrible things. But Ray is like screaming about how loud it is and Molly like plugs her ear so she can focus on Neil. She is like, I am locked in, (laughs) target set, I will have sex with this man. Yeah, um, she's really gunning for it. So after the party, Molly looks for Neil, but Ingrid is like, stop, halt. And Molly is just like, he's a rock and roll poet sex god. And I'm like, this is so funny. I really like that quote. (laughs) But Molly tries to tell Ingrid that this one is different. She's like, I know what you think. I know what you're doing. But like, this guy is the one. And Roma is talking to Neil and she's like, give me a demo. But something a little more up-tempo. Because that's what sells, baby. It's all about that money, money, money. Money, money. money. Get me the money. (laughs) Um, What's that Mr. Krabs meme? It's like, money, 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 money. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So Huey is stoked for Neil and Ray drives off in her limo with her mother and sticks her hand out and just flips Huey off as they drive away. Bold. Yeah. So Molly approaches Neil and she's like, oh my God, like, like literally inserts herself in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. The confidence. I'm a birthday girl. Yeah. Oh my God. And she starts flirting with him. And of course, since she's gorgeous and fun, um, it immediately works because men are flimsy. Yeah. He's like, I'm celibate. JK, let's go back to your place. <laughs> men are so flimsy. I was so gaslit yesterday. I was talking on the phone to Phil, and I could hear the PS4 noises, and I was like, oh, are you playing a game? And he was like, mm-hmm. am I playing a game? And I was like, are you playing a game on the PS4? And he's like, oh, no, I'm updating it. And throughout our hour and a half conversation, I can hear little, like, flicks of the, like, controller, like the joystick or whatever. And I was like, are you playing the game are you playing a game? And he's like, no, it's updating. That's why the music is on. I was like, oh, okay. But I can hear you flicking the things. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, oh, maybe it's the fish tank because they have this big fish tank in their living room. Mm-hmm. And an hour and a half later, he finally admits that he was on Minecraft. He was like, I wasn't playing. I was doing this thing on it. I was like, you fu- men are flimsy. Yeah, 100%. Jesus. So they go back to Molly's place and they're like outside her door and he's like, oh, are you really Tommy Gunn's daughter? Because he's British. (laughs) 
And um, I think he's more like daughter because he's that kind of British. But apparently Tommy Gunn was like her dad, famous mm-hmm. rock star. So she grabs his guitar, which he doesn't have a case for, Insane which makes no sense to me. I'm like, you were going to get on the subway, which is your bare guitar? Okay. And then demonstrates like her rock and roll DNA. She like flips it around, like swings it in yeah. the air. Like she kicks it at one point, like probably just destroying <laughs> this guitar, yeah. which... Like, I felt viscerally in my soul. I don't play guitar, but my dad does. My brother's also a musician, so I've been around them forever. And I'm just like, you cannot treat a guitar like that. Oh, my God. Neil's like, I have to get this guitar serviced immediately. Yeah, he's like, I'm an unemployed singer-songwriter. I cannot afford to replace it. (laughs) But he seems impressed, and he's like, yeah, I see the family resemblance. So Molly goes to open the door, and then she realizes that the power is out. So she has Neil, like, wait in the hallway. Um, She goes and she, like, lights a ton of candles, like, makes it super romantic, Mm -hmm. puts on this, like, gorgeous, like, sheer vintage-looking nightgown. Yeah, it's actually really cute and like opens the door for him and i'm just like oh my god i can't imagine as like a 22 year old just being like i'm gonna throw on this like beautiful nightgown and light all these candles for this guy like it's so like sophisticated and bold um one time i remember because i was dating this guy who is so wishy-washy also a musician and i Mm. was like I want to ensure that when he comes over, like, it's going to be hot. It's going to be romantic. So I lit a bunch of candles Mm. and I turned on my, like, twinkly lights and stuff because I read literally, like, some fucking magazine article that was like, you need to set the mood. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I did one time bring a guy home and I knew that I, like, had not planned on it and I, like, knew my room was messy. So I had him wait in the living room as I, like, shoved all my clothes in my closet and then like turned on my like string lights yeah and i was like okay you can come in now. oh my gosh but i was not wearing like a cool nightgown anyways so they go inside and i'm just like god her apartment is huge it's like a penthouse it's stunning Gigantic, yeah and then up runs moo her pet pig apparently he was supposed to be her dinner in bangkok but they fell in love and now he's her pet yeah so molly's probably a vegan or at least a vegetarian I don't think she's, though, because she tells um, Ray that at least she eats real hamburger. Oh, yeah. And then they go and eat a hot dog, yeah. too. Wow. Damn. It was just moo, apparently. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so in the apartment, Neil finds the guitar room, and it has just dozens of her dad's old guitars. And he picks one up, and he's like, oh, this is, like, from that show. And he starts playing Molly Smiles. And it's the song her dad wrote for her. Immediately, Molly is like, please stop playing that. And Neil's like, no, come on. This is like his best hit. And he just like sings it more. And she's like, this is the song my father opened with the night that his plane crashed. And he's like, oh, oops. Oopsies. So he does apologize. And Molly like brushes it off because um, she can't really confront that emotional trauma at the moment. And he's like, what's next? And she says, dessert. And opens up this tray. And it's just a ton of Pez. Yeah. And then they go out to the balcony and talk. And like they talk until the sun comes up. And he's talking about his celibacy and sobriety. And he says he's not supposed to act impulsively. And that he hasn't had a drink in 224 days. And he is also not supposed to have romantic relationships. Brother. As he's like feeding her Pez. Like directly into her mouth. Yeah. And she's just like, Pez. 
Lopez. <laughs> and they lean in and kiss each other. And it's very much implied that they have sex. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, the days of being able to be in the company of a man and just like... Yeah, without having like them vetted and a coronavirus yeah. test occur and yeah. yeah. Oh, man. We, one thing we realized actually is this is the only time you ever see them kiss. Or, like, really anything at all throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I don't know what this movie is, like, rated because even though it's implied they have sex, like, they never really show anything sexy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty PG. So it's implied that, like, Neil stays the whole weekend and they're just, like, having sex a lot. He is, like, playing this song for her on his guitar. It's, like, super dreary and repetitive. It's not fun to listen to. Molly is, like, clearly starting to lose interest in him. And she's like, oh, like, maybe you should add, like, a hook or a chorus or something. And he's like, I don't do hooks, Molly. Like, I'm not a sellout. But you are, though. Yeah, but you are, though. God, I hate him. Anyways, so the next morning, Molly is, like, in her bathtub hiding from him, and she's on the phone with Ingrid, and she's like, this dude won't leave. Like, he's in love with me. What do I do? Mm. And then Neil is like, Molly, can you come out here? So she hangs up. She goes out. He's like, can I have my boxers back? And she's like, baby, like, I'm not a love machine. Like, I can't just turn around whenever. And he's like, no, like, I want to leave. And then all of a sudden, Molly is like, what? Does a full, like, 180. And she's like, no, like, I want you to stay. Like, you can make your music here. You don't have to go home. And he's like, this is a world gone mad. I mean, look at this place. (laughs) He's like, I need to go home. I need to go back to reality. I need to do laundry. I need to write my music. He's like, I feel suffocated. And then he races out of there and he's like, I'll call you later. And, like, while this whole scene is happening, there's an episode of Looney Tunes playing in the background with, like, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, like, running around. And it, like, parallels them very nicely. It's a beautiful artistic touch. Do you hear that, Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Do you hear that, dummies of Rotten Tomatoes? Because listen up. Yeah. Fuck you. Anyways. (laughs) Molly's in her apartment alone now and Ingrid comes over and Molly is just living in disarray even more than normal it's like fucking disgusting in her apartment ingrid calls it post-nuclear and molly is like feigning heartbroken on the bed just playing with a lighter and ingrid's like okay and she starts cleaning up and reminding molly that she was the one who wanted him gone in the first place and molly just is droning on about how sad she is about Neil. Um, You can tell that this is like a cycle that Ingrid has experienced before. Mm -hmm. And Ingrid starts looking at her letters on her desk and she's like, what is this? Like your electric and gas have been canceled. Focus, who pays your bills? And Molly's like, all I know is that Bob pays everything. And Ingrid calls Bob on her cell phone and the line has been disconnected. Oh, Yeah, so turns out Bob has stolen all of her money. Mm -mm. None of it was insured. Unrealistic, but okay. Yeah, (laughs) they're like at this law firm and this dude is like explaining everything. She doesn't like even get the residuals from her dad's like music. Turns out this Bob guy also took like millions from other clients as well. Molly is stunned. Just kind of sitting there in shock, but eventually she's like, he'll be back. They always come back. And the lawyer is like, well, even if he did come back, he's going straight to jail. And also, like, it could take years to get your money back, even, like, if you manage to get any of it. And Molly's like, okay, can I ask your advice as a lawyer? He's like, yeah, 
she's like, what do you think I should do in the meantime, you know, in terms of money? And he's <laughs> like, get a job, maybe get a job. <laughs> it's so harsh. Yeah. She's so fucking stunned. Yeah. So they're in this gorgeous department store, Bundles, um, and Ingrid is going over Molly's resume, which is just a blank piece of paper where she has the Dalai Lama listed as a character reference. And the like um, contact info is like Tibet. It's just Tibet. Yeah. So while Ingrid is trying to help her get this job, Molly is just looking at 900 thread count Egyptian cotton sheets. And she's like, oh, my God, these are perfect. Molly goes over to interview with one of Ingrid's friends. And she's like, we all went to Darlington together. She's like, oh, you're a Darlington alum, too. It's basically just like Ingrid using her wasp connections to get Molly the job. Mm -hmm. And then Molly is like, how much are these sheets completely bypassing the conversation? And they're like $1,600. That's $1,600, y'all. Before tax. Before tax. Oh, my God. And Molly is like, do I get a discount for working here? And the woman is like, yes. And some of our employees are our finest customers. And I'm like, this is fucking highway robbery. Stop. Yeah, their discount is 10%. 10%? That's nothing. That's like not even the tax. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Molly buys the sheets because uh, she's not very financially literate. And um, she shows up to Neil's apartment with the sheets and gives them to him. And I'm like, you spent every single penny that you had and then some on these sheets and you don't even keep them. You give them to this like bum ass dude. Yeah. I'm mad. I'm upset about it. I really don't like it. And he's not very grateful at all. And so he's like, oh, do you have my lucky jacket? Like, I left it at your place. And she's like, nope, sorry. Guess you're going to have to come over and look for it. And he's like, I can't just, like, disappear with you again. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Feel these sheets. Feel the cotton. And she, like, seduces <laughs> him. He is, like, so sweaty. <laughs> it's disgusting. And he's like, okay, maybe we can, like, date, like, normal, mature people. We'll use alarm clocks. We'll eat with silverware. And she just looks at him. She's like, is it bedtime yet? And then I immediately oh vomit God. onto the floor. I hate it so much. That line's pretty horrific. But yeah. he was using rocket ship sheets. I'm like, bro, have you seen that meme that has like the blue, yeah. like the, the dark navy, navy sheets? sheets. Yeah. yeah. It's like, ladies, if this is his bed sheet, run. If he has navy sheets and one pillow, yeah. get out of there. So back at the store, um, this is the morning after, Molly is just KO'd on a display bed at work and fired on site. Ingrid is pissed, and Molly says that she knows she's undeserving and a creep, but can they please talk about it over lunch? And Ingrid is like, our lunch date is canceled because you can't afford lunch. And Molly is like, I'll live off of water and sunshine. <laughs> but it's clear that she is struggling, and Huey is like, do not worry. I'll help you out. And Molly's like, a record deal? And he's like, absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. Instead, he gets Molly hired as Ray's new nanny. She goes to pick her up at school. Ray is like, I'm about to throw myself down a flight of stairs. Jesus Christ. And she's like, okay, whatever. I need to go and take my pills. I'm on a schedule. <laughs> whatever. I don't care about this. She need to take my fucking yeah. pills. 
Yeah. So they go to this like hot dog stand where Molly gets her an Evian, which Ray disinfects thoroughly. Meanwhile, Molly is drinking like a can of fruit punch. <laughs> and Ray is like, fruit punch, why don't you just drink cyanide? At least it's quick. I'm like, oh my God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. In this moment, I remembered how much I hated nannying. Oh, yeah. As a former nanny, this was triggering. Very triggering. <laughs> to say for the me. least. <laughs> yeah. At least Dakota Fanning turns out to be cool. Yeah. So they go to the Schlein house, and this apartment is huge, mm-hmm. gigantic. Like, Molly had a gorgeous apartment, but this apartment is like, has a corridor. Next level. Yeah. It's really sterile. You get like hospital vibes. And Molly comes across the library where there's a patient. They have like a little curtain hanging over them, but there's clearly like a nurse in there. They're getting like hospice care. So Molly is like, what's up what's going on and ray is like it's none of your bi business and ray closes the door then they go to ray's room and ray's room is just military grade clean all her dolls and her cds like are lined up perfectly her desk is perfectly aligned and organized and molly looks at her doll collection she's like oh my god is that a playing polly and picks it up and like plays with it for a hot sec and ray is freaking out she's like put her back yeah so then molly sits down at ray's little like tea set and ray is like whoa 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 hey 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 you don't touch that unless i happen to invite you to tea and molly like picks up a scone she's like talking in a british accent (laughs) and then she like bites down on it like an idiot because it's plastic and ray like freaks out and sprays it with lysol and then molly's like kid have you ever been to a shrink and Ray's like, since I was three. Oi. Yeah. So then Ray gets an intercom message saying that dinner is ready. Yes. After dinner, Molly and Ray clean the dishes. And uh, Ray's like, you missed a spot. And Molly is like, why are we even doing this? This is the maid's job. And Ray's like, she doesn't know how to drive without leaving spots. I'm like, kid, you've got to get a grip. This is going to haunt you. You're going to develop some really bad uh, tendencies. Yeah. So Molly and Ray start getting into a fight because Ray is using a ton of paper towels and Molly just wants to use a dish rag and Ray is like, it's germy, it's disgusting. And Ray is a complete hypochondriac and she pops off about how Molly's hippie ass is going to give her botulism from the towels she's using. It's a big mess. Yeah, so then they like fight over the plate and it goes flying and it breaks and Ray's like, get a broom. And Molly's like, you get a broom and starts to walk out. And then Ray is like, when you work for me, you leave when I say you can leave. And she's like, I don't work for you. I am employed by your mother. And then Ray says, oh yeah? Take a look around. Do you see her anywhere? News flash. (laughs) You're not gonna. Unless you make an appointment with her assistant or hang around her bedroom door at three in the morning. In the meantime, you're working for me. Jesus Christ. I know. She has so much attitude. News flash. Flash. 
crazy. And then Molly's like, newsflash, Mussolini, I quit. And she like slams the door. She said, one day I'm Audi 3000. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's a swinging door. So it goes back and like hits her in the face. And this whole scene gives me like serious flashbacks to when I was a nanny for this family. Like right after graduation, actually, I was like the same exact age as her. And I worked for them for a few months, like full time. And these kids were like monsters. They were were horrible. One of the kids, the older kid, like threatened to get me fired. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell my mom that I don't like you as my nanny. And then you're not going to have a job anymore. And I was like, oh, really? Well, today's my last day. And then I quit that day. I was like, I will not be threatened by a six year old. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, that job was so horrible for my mental health. It was a disaster. That's the one thing I'm like, I'd rather work at a restaurant than be a nanny. Yeah. Because at least at a restaurant, like, if someone is actually trying to, like, physically harm me or says something insane, I can tell my manager and they're like, that's messed up. Like, there's some sort of a system. (laughs) Whereas when you're nanny, it's really just you unless you're doing it legally through, like, a company. Yeah. I'm like, never again will I nanny for violent children. I do not deserve to be kicked in the face, punched. Yeah, it's not okay. Kids suck. Yeah, I'm like, this is why I'm never having children. So back at Molly's building, Molly walks into the building with a bloody nose, and Moo is outside her door. And she's like, why, why are you out here? And she's barefoot. She's having a really hard time. The locks on Molly's door have been changed, and she has to appear before this board. And she's, like, pleading with them. She's like, I've lived in this building for 20 years. How could you do this to me? And Molly's neighbor, the one that complained about the flowers before, says that it's a family building. Maybe you should move to Los Angeles. And they're like, you'll only be allowed in your apartment with a management representative to collect your belongings the belongings that we aren't holding as collateral for the rent and utilities that you owe. And otherwise, you are barred from the premises. I'm like, you are having just the worst day of your life. Yeah. So she goes to Neil's house and buzzes door, but he won't let her in because he's an asshole. Hate him. Doesn't even want to hear what she has to say. Yeah, he just like looks at her out on the street and he's like, mm, I'm going to go sit on these uh, $2,000 sheets that you bought me and write a bad song. Literally write a horrible ass song. So then Molly ends up at Ingrid's apartment and Ingrid is like nice. She lets her stay. She's like, yeah, you can use the dresser, gives her a tour of the place. This apartment is so nice. It is once again immaculate. She does keep a very nice home, but I don't know. I don't think I could be friends with Ing. I feel like I don't trust a 22-year-old that acts like this. It's just like too anal for me. Yeah. I don't know. Then we, like, pan over Ingrid's beautiful apartment to see, like, the hoarder's pile of all of Molly's possessions. And Ing is like, Moo has to go. He can't live here. And you need to downsize. Downsize, purify, streamline, find your center. Okay, Ing. Shut the hell up. Yeah. I'm like, go away. Jesus Christ. The next scene is Ray in her ballet class. And she is just incredibly pissed to see Molly. Her teacher's like, we have five extra minutes. You want to freestyle dance? And Ray is like, I'm outie. Fuck that noise. Not for me. So Molly apologizes for yelling at her yesterday. And she says she called Roma. And Roma said that if Ray said it was okay, she could have her job back. And Ray is like, 
you are on probation. So they're walking through Central Park, and Molly is, like, dancing along the way, and Ray is like, act your age, not your shoe size. Yeah, bitch, well, I'm a size 20 shoe. How about that, yeah. you rude whore? Yeah, yeah. get fucked. <laughs> get fucked, Ray. Young yeah. child. Right. <laughs> so Molly is like, why didn't you want to stick around to freestyle? Ray says, freestyle is for moronic little kids and hippie freaks. And then she quotes Barishnikov, and she's like, fundamentals are the building blocks of fun. And then flips Molly off. So Molly, like, immediately grabs her hand, and she's like, take it back. She's like, you're hurting me. She's like, you hurt me. Take it back. Eventually she does. And Molly is like, it's a good thing that you did, because otherwise you wouldn't get your surprise. They go back to the apartment, and the surprise is Moo with, like, a little bow around (laughs) his neck. I love Moo. So Molly decides to have a yard sale so she can downsize her stuff. And uh, meanwhile, Ray is simply freaking out. She's like, my glands are swollen. I'm having an allergic reaction. My immune system is crashing. And Molly's like, relax. You won't mind keeping Moo for one week. Meanwhile, Ray is just like gagging into a waste bin like a dramatic (laughs) little girl. And... During this whole yard sale, people are, you know, trying to buy stuff as one does. And Molly is freaking out. She wants to keep all of her stuff. But Ingrid pulls her aside and she's like, you need to snap out of it. You want this, Molly. Then we cut to Molly in her old apartment. She's saying goodbye, taking like one last look. She walks into like the old room with her dad's guitars in it. And she's like, oh, is your dad a rock star? And Molly is like, yeah, he was, but he's dead and ray is like you could make a ton of money if you sell all of these and molly's like it's not my stuff it's my parents and ray's like oh so you're just gonna put it in storage so it's gonna gather dust like you're pathetic a little harsh yeah super harsh and then molly asks her like about the man in her house who apparently suffered like a massive stroke and ray was like yeah he was my dad but he's a vegetable now Molly's like, that's kind of harsh. And Ray puts on her sunglasses mm-hmm. and turns around and she's like, it's a harsh world. Oof. Damn. Yeah. So we get a little montage moment. Molly is learning how to be an adult. She goes to a laundromat to do her laundry. Uh, she calls Neil and says that she still has this jacket and she's in a new phase. She's Miss Proletariat. Meanwhile, in the background, the washing machine is overflowing. It's a fucking mess. The next scene, Ray and Molly give Moo a bath, and he jumps out of the tub and runs around everywhere. In the next one, she's baking with Ingrid's friends, and Molly is, like, just supposed to put them in the oven, keep a timer on them, and the literally the cookies catch fire. I don't even know how that could happen. How? Maybe yeah. she put on the broiler? Maybe. Yeah. But even then, they wouldn't catch, like, flame. They would I just, know. like turn into ash i don't know how that happened but she really fucked it up and she tries to like smother the fire with neil's jacket bro yeah so molly goes to pick up ray from school and there's this huge fight happening like ray is strangling this kid on the playground molly pulls her off and she's like what are you doing like violence is never the answer and ray is super mad and she's like she was laughing at me because her au pair said that my new nanny was a slut bag whore cut to molly <laughs> strangling the au pair and like all these kids are screaming it's so fucking funny oh my god so then we see molly back at ing's apartment with neil's jacket which is like 
all kinds of fucked up. It's super burnt. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to thrift flip it. I'm going to make it cute. Do some DIY magic. And as she's working on this jacket, she gets a call from Neil. Finally. <laughs> Your eyes are rolling as you say that. I'm just like, oh, good. He called her. Ah, yeah. God, I hate him. But she does agree to go to dinner with Neil. And they start talking about how living with Ingrid has been hard. It's mostly Molly talking. And she reaches for the check to pay. And Neil is like, well, actually, I'm going to pay because I just signed a record deal. So this is on me. And Molly is so excited for him. He brings her back to his apartment to play the song that sealed the deal. And it's the dreary-ass song from earlier when he was, like, staying at our place for three days. Except he listened to Molly's advice and added a hook, which references <laughs> the sheets that she got him. And I'm like, yeah. I would be in Period. He's like, oh, like, I'm not a sellout, blah, blah, blah. But then the hook he writes is, na, 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 sheets of Egyptian cotton. That's it. I'm like, Mm. I cannot stand you, sir. (laughs) I'm not a sellout, but my chorus do be trash, though. (laughs) So Molly's thrilled. She is really happy for him. She's genuinely happy. And she's like, look what I got you. It's your lucky jacket. Ty Pennington style extreme jacket makeover. <laughs> yeah, it's like black. It has like zebra trim. It has like um, studs purple stuff. lining yeah. studs. Yeah. And he's like, what did you do to my lucky jacket? You mutilated it. And he like freaks out. And apparently this is a deal breaker for him. This jacket thing. He's like, I can't see you anymore. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I see how it is. You do the rock star's daughter and then you can tell all your little pop star mates about it and then you disappear off into the sunset with your guitar and she, like, walks out. And I'm like, yeah, he fucking sucks, Molly. You deserve so much better. He's a fuckboy. She does deserve more. Back at Ray's, Ray is playing opera while she and Molly are sitting down for a tea party and Ray is like, no cream in my tea because... I can't gain weight right now. My ballet recital is happening. Ballet is so toxic. <laughs> and then uh, she's like, I asked you to tea. The least you could do is be polite. So this is like progress for her. She's being less of a jerk. Um, and Ray asks Molly why she's buttering a plastic scone. And Molly asks Ray why they even have plastic scones when there is real food on the table. <laughs> and Ray's like, they're cute. Let me live. So Ray's like, are you still moping about that disgusting guy? And it says that people always let you down. Just forget about him. You know, do something for yourself. And I'm like, that is wise. Mm -hmm. People do let you down all the time. Yeah. But Molly's like, what would I do? And Ray is like something you're good at. And Molly's like, you know what? Some people, they aren't good at anything. But Ray says that all grownups are good at something. And then she's like, oh, wait. I don't see any grown-ups here. And I'm just like, oof. Third degree burns. The quick quips are really what gets you. It's like she walked into it. Yeah. Ray is still being, like, extremely scathing. But at least she's not, like, actively being a terror. So I think that that's progress. And then Molly is like, what's so good about being a grown-up anyways? And Ray is like, I think you're scared. Sometimes when Moo hears people walking by outside the door, he gets this funny expression and runs into the bathroom. That's how you look. Horrible. Damn. 
So then Ray is like, well, if you're not going to have a good time with me at tea, then I'm going to have fun by myself and do 100 plies at my ballet bar. And Molly is like, this is depressing. This music is a total bummer. We need to listen to something fun. And then she changes the station to pop. Ray hates it and she's like, you call this music? But Molly is having a blast. She spins Ray around in circles. She's like dancing and Ray is screaming. She's literally screaming. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, let go of me! And then they like let go of each other's hands and like Molly crashes into the bookshelf and Ray falls down. And Ray gets up to leave and turns around and she's like, grow up. Yikes. Back at Ing's apartment... Molly is getting ready to leave, and Ingrid's like, where are you going? And Molly's like, I have a date with a computer programmer. Ingrid is freaking pissed. She's like, you forgot all about our plans to go green tea tasting at the Asia Society. And Molly's like, homie, I don't even like tea. If I never drank another glass of tea, I would be more than happy. So Ingrid is about to explode, and she's like, I RSVP'd over a month ago. It's too late to invite anyone else. And Molly is like, I pay half the rent. That doesn't mean I owe every minute of my free time to you. And I was like, uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. You got her. I'm also like, mm-hmm. if you're paying half the rent, you should have a room too. But yeah, whatever. So Ingrid's like, owe me? <laughs> owe me for free yoga or almost burning down my apartment? And Molly is like, which I think was a long time coming, tells her that Mm. friendship isn't running someone's life. But Ingrid is like, you can't run your life. You don't know how to run your life. And she's like, well, whatever. You don't have to worry about this anymore. You're out. Bye-bye. Yeah. Pack it up. So then Molly moves in with Huey. She like shows up at his apartment with her bags and like I love Huey. Yeah. Like rollers still in her hair. And I'm just like, damn, I can't believe all these people have like spare room in their New York City apartments. Like I can't imagine being that financially stable, but go off. And he's like, I know that Ing can be anal, but life with Huey is just one big party. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Huey's character. It's you know, the second Brittany Murphy donald Faison movie it really after is. clueless but yeah they like go to this club and i'm just like wow 2000s new york sounds like the place to be blast. yeah because in 2000s new york i feel like i could get a job a i could get a job and it would be less competitive mm-hmm. yeah b i could have my own studio apartment even if it's small here like right now mm-hmm. it's just impossible yeah so At this club, Huey and Molly are, like, doing body shots. There's, like, a lot of, like, debauchery going on. Then we cut to Ray's ballet recital. It's the final bow, and Ray is scanning the room for her mom or maybe Molly, but no one is there for her. So Horrible. I know. It's so sad. And you can tell she's, like, holding back tears, too. She Mm. looks heartbroken. Yeah. Molly sees Roma at the club, though, and she's, like who's watching Ray, and Roma is like, oh, she's at some ballet thing. And Molly finally realizes it's the night of the recital, and no one showed up for her. She's like, oh my god, I have to get there immediately. And Roma is like, relax. I've got everything covered. You know, I've arranged a car to pick her up. We cut to Ray walking back into the building alone in the rain, clearly just upset and heartbroken it sucks it's like it's not like roma was like at work and like couldn't make it she was just like hanging out at a bar yeah and was like ah i'm not gonna go to my kids recital even though ballet is like the most important thing in her entire life not for me 
awful. So then the next morning, Ray is sick in bed and Molly shows up on her day off. Yeah. And checks Ray's temperature and she's like, sick, schmick, we are going out to enjoy this beautiful day. And Ray's like, what are you talking about? Molly is like, we are going to go and sit in giant teacups and spin around until we puke. (laughs) And Ray is like, are you on crack? Cut to Ray looking out the window of the F train. They're going to Coney Island. Yay! Yay! Or Luna Park, as they call it in 2020. Yeah. So Molly finds out that Ray has never been to an amusement park before. And she's like, oh my god, Ray, you're so psyched. And Ray's just sitting there like... Not saying it. She's like, say it. Say you're psyched. And Ray's like, I'm psyched. Okay. (laughs) God. (laughs) And I'm just like, damn, there's nothing more horrifying than admitting that you're excited for something when you're a guarded child. Like, I was super shy and quiet as a child, and I never wanted to, like, say I was excited. So I definitely felt this moment when I was a kid. And it's so awful because it's, like, especially if you're, like, a smart kid, you're like, I know Mm -hmm. that you're just infantilizing me. You want to see me excited? You want to see me excited? Mm -hmm. Why don't you start my retirement fund early, okay? (laughs) Why don't you pay some of my loans? But no, I digress. So... (laughs) They arrive at Coney Island and Molly's like, well, you have to pay the toll since you're so psyched to be here. And she brings Ray to Nathan's hot dogs. And Ray is just like so freaked out and disgusted. And she takes like the tiniest itsy bitsy bite of a hot dog. And after Ray swallows Molly like checks her forehead, checks her pulse, and she screams to all of Nathan's that she's alive. The operation was a success, ladies and gentlemen. She's alive. I love Molly. I think she's really fun and just like she has the sensibility to make mundane things feel exciting. Yeah. She has such a zest for life. It's so like lovely to watch. So they're at Coney Island. The park is, like, dead. It's closed. Turns out they're a week early before the season starts. Yikes. So Molly turns around. She sees that Ray is gone. She searches for her everywhere, and then she finds her at the teacups. And it's just, like, crushing disappointment. Mm. Ray is, like, staring at these teacups. And then Mm. she, like, puts on her sunglasses. She's like, let's go home. Yeah. I'm like, I need to carry on shades with me. So that I can put them down whenever I'm upset. That would be very convenient. Yeah. yeah. If I learned anything in acting school, it's uh, always give yourself an activity. It's true. So. It's true. That's why I always take pictures with beverages in my hands. Yeah. You know? It makes it natural. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so in Ray's room, actually, this is, um, I feel like it's like a turning point in the movie because mm-hmm. Ray kind of like opened up to her about being excited to go to the amusement park. And now because she was disappointed, Molly is like telling her her story and like really opening up to her so yeah molly tells ray the story of how her parents died she tells her that her parents were leaving her behind to go on tour for the first time because they didn't want her to miss any more school and she was so mad that she wouldn't even say goodbye to them and then the next thing she knew uh she got woken up in the middle of the night by her nanny to tell her that her parents plane crashed and ray is like you're lucky. You're lucky that you were mad because when you're mad, you don't miss people. And Molly's like, I wasn't mad. I was confused. And like for a while, I couldn't understand a word that anyone was saying and everything became a blur and everybody just like turned into monsters. So she packed up her knapsack and ran away to Coney Island. 
She rode the teacups like over and over and over until like she was sick, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she feels like she's still on the ride and like still spinning around. And she starts crying and she's like, Ray, you were right. I am scared, but you're just as scared as me. And I thought that if we could ride the teacups together. And then she like breaks down and fully cries into Ray's chest. And Ray like pats her hair and comforts them. They like sleep in her bed that night. And in the middle of the night, Ray gets up. She goes to see her dad in the library. So sad. It's so sad. I feel like it's more... The story is has less to do with them both being affluent and more to do with both of their parents passing mm-hmm. away and how they deal with that trauma. Yeah. So in the morning, Molly wakes up and she goes to the kitchen. She thinks that Ray is in the kitchen and she's like, oh, you got up early. And it's actually... Neil shirtless at the fridge and we hear Roma calling don't forget the sugar sugar electric chair immediately I asshole I hate Neil so much such a jerk so Molly books it out of there she goes to Central Park everywhere she turns she sees like couples she sees young couples old couples she sees like a dad and daughter pair and she's like this is too fucking much so she goes up to the bridge and jumps in the lake Ugh. absolutely poison water yeah. the lake isn't even deep and she lands standing the water doesn't even clear up to her chest and some old people call down to her and they're just like that water is contaminated that's br sewage it's like <laughs> so awful and they're just yelling at her to get out and they're like, you could get a ticket. This is illegal. And she's like, I'm going. I'm le- I heard you. So she like <laughs> tries to get out of the lake, but there's a dip and she just falls in further. <laughs> Into that toxic water. Oh, it's so disgusting. Horrible. So the next day, Molly is like massively sick. Honestly, I'm surprised she's not dead or that this wasn't didn't like turn into a super superhero movie because she's like radioactive now. But Ray is like taking care of Molly. It's super sweet. And she's like, well, I'm going to leave you to rest. Molly's like, where are you going? And Ray's like, I don't know. Maybe the library or something. And Molly is like, oh, is that where you were last night? If you're just going to read, maybe you should read aloud to him. And Ray is like, he's a vegetable. Like, he can't hear me. It's not going to do any good. Molly's like, you're the doctor. But I saw this show once about all these sick people. And the patients who had their loved ones talking to them held on way tighter and lived longer. Mm. And then they pinky promise on it. And Ray is like, do you want to come with me? So they go to the library. And Ray can't think of anything to say. But Molly suggests she talks about Moo. So Ray goes over to her dad and she starts to tell him all about Moo and how she's like really into ballet now. And she holds his hand. It's really sweet. It's so sweet. This was the first time that I started crying in this movie at work. Just because I like know how it ends. And I was like, oh my God, my heart. It's a really beautiful moment. Ray is actually starting to open up about her emotions and, mm-hmm. yeah, care about stuff, which she obviously cared about before, but it's so hard for her to, like, break through this thick skin and show. Mm. So back at Huey's apartment, um, Molly's just sewing away at one of Ray's tutus and Huey's doing whatever Huey does. When on the television, Neil Fox's newest music video comes up for Sheets of Egyptian Cotton and Molly's, like, he is a one-hit wonder. The music video is so 80s. And Huey is like, hey, I produced this. 
and Molly calls him Gooey Huey, and it's just really <laughs> funny. So she shows off Ray's choo-choo, and she's like, look, like, look at what's up. And then Molly sees the jacket that she made Neil in the music video. Electric chair, electric chair She's like, for oh my Neil. God. It's like, it's Gaslitville. Gaslit mm-hmm. City. Yeah. Gaslighting yeah. City. Our main export is gas and lights <laughs> because we're gaslighting you. So yeah. Molly is just freaking out like any sane person would do when you mm-hmm. see someone wearing like a gift. It's just infuriating to me. It's convoluted. So yeah. she's like, he's the Lizard King. And Huey is like, I am the Lizard King. Okay. <laughs> I made Neil everything he is. And then Molly's like, you're right. True friends, true hearts. And they do a little secret handshake. It's all good. I think their friendship is so cool. It's really nice. Yeah. Then suddenly the doorbell rings and when Molly opens it, it's Moo. She's like, what's going on? Yeah. So then Molly hops in a cab to raise. She goes past the library and sees that all the equipment in the room is gone. Her dad is gone. The nurse tells her that he passed away this afternoon. So she goes into Ray's room to see how she's doing. And Ray is just like doing plies, mm. not even looking at her. She goes over and like punches in on the intercom and then says to Molly, you promised. And then a maid comes in and tells Molly that Miss Schlein is waiting to talk to her in the study. So Roma gives Molly her last week's pay and a month's severance and lets her go. So Molly refuses to leave without an explanation. And Roma is like, my daughter said she never wants to see you again. So Molly is like, Ray must be going out of her mind with grief. But Roma is like, actually, she's taking it very well because she's totally clueless about her daughter's well-being. And Molly starts to ask Roma questions. She's like, uh, did you know that Ray got kicked out of science class for stealing a formaldehyde pig and trying to give it a proper burial? Also, the tea set is beautiful, but do you know how she likes tea? And Molly is like, you're right. Like, you don't know what goes on between me and your daughter because you don't know anything about your own daughter. And Roma is like, I know her well enough to respect her wishes. And Molly is like, you don't give her respect. You just give her everything that she wants. Your daughter is eight. She is not 28. Remember that next time you show her some respect. And then she like rips up the check and walks out. Yeah. So she walks out of the building and goes downstairs. And of course, Neil is waiting for her. God. I hate that he... Someone's dad just died and you're like, it's a good time. It's a good time for me to reconnect with... uh, (laughs) A girl that I fucked over multiple times. It's that fit yeah. bird that I fucked. Yeah. Fuck him. Oh, I hate him so much. Okay. I think the reason that I hate him so yeah. much is because I have dated men like him and I like have fallen for this shtick before. And I'm just like, Molly, no, don't fall for it. He's the worst. It just like, it's manipulation city and I hate him. Yeah. So he's like, hey, it's my muse. God, my voice is, I still have morning voice. Just please forgive me for the accent. That sounded like a southern accent. Hey, it's my muse. Hey, it's my muse. So there you go. Apparently, he hasn't been able to write a decent song since he stopped seeing Molly. Fucking fuck of you. Course. Because everything good about him is stuff that she made. Yeah, but Molly wants nothing to do with him. And Neil is pissed. 
So he's like, so that's the Molly MO. When I'm not into you, you want me. But when I am, you don't want me. And I'm like, you are dumb as fuck. You are dumb as fuck. It's like there's Mm -hmm. nothing else in the world but yourself. Yeah. This is when, um, actually this exact moment, is when Neil got elected as the mayor of Gaslighting City. Yes. Because he found a mine just full of gaslight in his own Mm -hmm. fucking brain. So Molly (laughs) tells him that ever since they met, it's always what she's doing wrong, all the stuff that she's doing wrong. And now she has nothing left for him. So she suggests thinking about someone other than himself and walks away. Hell yeah. If I wasn't afraid about breaking it, I would drop my mic right now. But (laughs) it's incredible. So then the next scene is an auction. Molly has decided that she's going to sell her dad's guitar collection. But unfortunately, it's like a super sparse crowd. Not many people want to buy this, like, probably multi-million dollar collection. Yeah, it's so sad. They're like, the excitement, like, fell short of what we had anticipated. And they start selling off the first guitar. And the opening bid is 2500 And I'm like, are you joking? For, like, a dead Rockstar 2500 for this, like... And it's the, like, beloved guitar that, like, Neil was yeah. talking about at the beginning. So then a bidder calls in on the phone and offers 75 k for the whole collection. Which is still extremely low, but Molly is, like... Like, this is my dad. Like, this is all I have left. And then the auction dudes are like, we don't think you're going to get a better offer. And so she's like, just get rid of it. It's really heartbreaking, especially when she's like, this is all I have left of him. But I do feel like the fact that not a lot of people show up to the auction is supposed to be kind of like signaling to what Ray said earlier, where she's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you could make so much money if you sell this. But instead, you're just letting it gather dust. Like, that's pathetic. Because if she had done this earlier, if she had Mm -hmm. sold this, like, when she was a teenager or whatever, I don't know, she probably could have gotten, like, a lot more money for it. Totally. So after the auction... She goes back to Huey's place and brings her to, like, a six-floor walk-up and shows Huey her brand-new studio apartment. The bathroom is literally in the kitchen with just this thin little uh, plastic curtain over it. (laughs) And it has Murphy bed, but she's like, it's all I can afford right now, and I have to stand on my own two feet. So while she's kind of, like, basking in being an adult and, like, feeling good about her choices... Huey gets a call from Roma asking if he knows where Ray is. He's like, no, I I don't know. And he passes the phone to Molly. Apparently, Ray never came home from school that day. So Molly runs down the stairs and she almost throws up. She's freaking out, racking her brain. And then she realizes she knows exactly where Ray is. So Molly goes to Coney Island and she finds Ray sitting alone riding the teacups And she goes and gets in the teacup with Ray and they just start like spinning around and around. And like Ray is crying. Molly can like see herself in Ray. I'm like getting goosebumps just talking about it because this is again where I started to cry. It's like an incredibly charged scene. Yeah. Eventually they get off the teacups and Ray is like throwing up in the garbage can. She turns around to Molly and slaps her. And then Molly slaps her back and then Ray starts just like punching Molly's stomach before like completely collapsing and just hugging her. And at this point, my boss walked by me Mm -hmm. crying, which was 
great. But yeah, it's just like a really intense moment. But it's also really beautiful that they're like able to be there for each other. And Molly's able to like guide her through this horribly like traumatic thing that she's been through and like able to approach that with the foresight that she has and like let Ray actually feel and express her emotions. Yeah. And not just hound her or try to like stifle mm-hmm. her grief. Yeah. The next scene is the funeral for Ray's father. And this is such a switch from the last scene that there's like a Sugar Ray cameo and Dave Navarro is there and they come up to Molly and they're like, I loved Neil's jacket. I know that you made it. Like, can I um, commission you to do a piece for me? And she's like, oh my God, it was just a big accident. Like, no, no, no. And they're like, we really want something cool like that. And they try to like entice her to do it. And she's like, oh yeah, like, let's do it. Let's do it. So we kind of see, like, Molly has a talent now. She might have a potential Mm -hmm. career path. She sees Ingrid from across the room, and they both start crying. Huey comes up. He offers them a hanky, and they both blow their noses into it. It's so gross. Mm. Then Roma tells Molly that Ray wants to see her before she joins the reception. So Ray is sitting on her bed in her room. Molly joins her, and Ray tells Molly that she can have her job back. And Molly's like, no, we're going to be friends now. And Ray says, grown-ups never stay friends with kids. Molly says, I don't see any grown-ups around here. And Ray says, I do. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's such a beautiful moment. I'm just proud of both of their emotional roller coasters. They've changed so much in the movie. One couldn't have happened without the other. And I don't know. It's just cool. Yeah. It's nice to see, like, two women getting along and just being honest with each other and being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So... Molly is in an interview, and um, it's for the Fashion Institute. I don't know why. It's not called FIT in the movie, right? I just always assumed it was FIT. They just, like, don't refer to yeah. it as that because FIT is the Fashion Institute of Technology. Yeah. So it's yeah. it was basically about this. So Molly is interviewing, and the admissions officer is like, with your references, you really don't need school. You could probably just get a job instead of wasting four years here. But Molly says fundamentals are the building blocks of fun a la rage line a la barishnikov (laughs) Uh, molly realizes in that moment that she forgot ray's recital again and she races out of the interview with her huge portfolio but i think the interview actually you know went well and i'm very hopeful for molly yes so we see the recital Little ballerinas are just twirling on stage. Ray is backstage with her mom. She's like, where is Molly? As Roma is like pinning her tutu together. So I'm like, okay, Roma's finally getting involved. That's good. Molly makes it just in time for Ray's special performance. The announcer says that she will be accompanied by a special guest. It's Neil. (laughs) He comes out on stage. The girls in the audience freak out. He's wearing Molly's jacket. Of course. He tells the audience that there's someone here who lent us a bit of her magic, and they'd like to give some of it back. So he's holding Molly's dad's guitar, and he's going to play the song he wrote for his favorite person in the world, and he starts playing Molly Smiles. I hate him, but I will say this moment is very sweet, and it did make me cry again. So I'm like, well, at least you're doing something nice. For once, Neil. Then Ray comes out and she performs this number with her ballet class. And they all carry Tommy Gunn guitars. And Ray has this freestyle solo moment in the front. 
she like lets her hair down and she like yeah. shakes her like butt around and like just does whatever she wants and it's like finally letting herself just be free just be a kid and this is when i cried i was like sobbing because it was just so sad and like not sad but like just finally like you can both like be happy you've had like such a Mm -hmm. hard fucking time and no one wanted to be there for you but like now you know so yeah at the end molly and the whole crowd applaud and we hear a final voiceover every story has an end but in life Every ending is just a new beginning. My whole body is like covered in goosebumps right now. I feel like I'm going to cry again (laughs) and I'm not even watching it. It was just such Uh, a lovely movie. It's so good. I think it's a great movie to watch if you're confused about your life or if you don't know what direction Mm -hmm. you're going. And it's not just about these two girls, but it's about figuring out your place in life and learning to have fun and learning when to be strict. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just a great movie for any young adult any young professional to watch yeah and i think even kids can watch it because it's not super inappropriate or anything like i think anyone of any age can watch something like this and get something from it i think it's about like growing up learning how to take responsibility but not losing like your zest and your love for life and you can still pursue joy and be emotionally vulnerable and like that's okay it's actually a strength yeah Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I really enjoyed watching this movie. Yeah. Fuck everyone who doesn't understand the nuance of Uptown Girls. Totally. The characters are, like, so fascinating, so lovable, Mm -hmm. and easy to invest in. And one thing that I noticed in, like, all these shitty reviews, they're, like, the characters aren't charming, they aren't likable or whatever. But I have never once heard any sort of criticism about like critically acclaimed movies that star men saying that like oh the main character isn't likable like most critically acclaimed movies about men the character is unlikable yeah her joaquin phoenix i didn't like him i thought he was a creep yeah what the fuck yeah it's just like why is this the standard like even if molly's character was unlikable which she isn't why is it expected for female characters that they have to be likable? Yeah, like, why is that a qualifier for an enjoyable movie? Yeah, I just think that at least the critiques that I saw, and I would be open to hearing something about the movie that someone had, like, flushed out and felt like was accurate. Like, I would be open to hearing critiques. I just don't mm. want to hear any critiques that cast aspersions, questioning, mm. like, the likability, questioning, like, their background and stuff like that because it's just not anything that people critique for other movies and maybe it's because this movie is like too fun it had to be like more serious or more like quote-unquote oscar worthy for characters to like act like this or something but no one was critiquing the affluence of characters in early Mm -hmm. 2000s movies you didn't watch home alone and say oh my god but he has a big house like he was just like a wasp and like a rich white guy like Mm -hmm. no one fucking talks about that no one says that yeah so why do you care about this movie that's so heartwarming and genuine and has stuff that everyone can relate to i think it's like a very interesting look into like grief from both a child's perspective and an adult's perspective. You get to see, like, right when it happens to Ray, and then you get to see, like, the long-term effects of it on Molly. Mm -hmm. I don't know, seeing, like, Molly help her through that and, like, have this cathartic moment with her, I think is important 
And I'm sure that many people find it relatable. Yeah, especially because in the beginning, it doesn't seem like Molly has any issues with her parents' death, even though she's still quite Mm -hmm. young. Like, I consider 22 to be pretty young. Like, her parents passed Mm -hmm. away 10 years ago, but it's not like she's in her 30s or 40s where she started to really, like, develop her own life away from her parents. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm still really connected to my parents. But when everything is taken away from her and she has to build a life for herself, she has to, like, Mm -hmm. face all of the things that she knew. And, like, she was living in that apartment with her family, I would assume, before they passed away. Like, she has all of her family's, like, belongings and the stuff that she never grappled with before. She's forced to confront head on. Yeah. Everyone, go watch this movie. Yeah. I wish I got the respect that it deserved. No, Fuck a film critic, though. What do they know? Those who can't do... Critique. <laughs> Should we uh, rate the movie? Yeah. This is going to be a high one for me. Yeah. Like, I'm feeling like around like a nine. Ooh. Nine or a ten. I would say yeah. probably a nine. Mm-hmm. Just because I love the movie. But it wasn't like my all-time favorite. I don't know. I really yeah. like this movie. <laughs> Maybe we should do a 9.5. <laughs> Yeah, we do 9.5. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Yes. Please comment your favorite color in our next Instagram post if you made it this far. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. We love, we it. love it. It's super fun. And you can follow us on Instagram. It's Movies That Raise Us. You can follow us on Twitter. It's MTRU underscore pod. Have a great Wednesday, everyone. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Or, or whatever day. I feel good <laughs> about this review. I don't know. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed it as mm-hmm. much as we did. It's a good time. Thank you so much for listening to Movies That Raised Us. We are Mo and Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.